Matthew 24. You want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. Um, If you are visiting with us this week, or if this is your first Sunday with us, um, the fact that we're in Matthew 24 means that we have been in Matthew for a long time. Do you agree, church? Yes? And we are uh, rapidly approaching the end of Matthew. We are uh, aiming to be uh, uh, wrapping up this book on Easter Sunday, April 24th. Uh, so we, we're, we're coming to the end here. And one of the things that I'm going to be trying to do today as I preach is to summarize some of the major themes that we've seen over and over again in the Gospel of Matthew. This is a long section today, but I know you're up for it, right? <laughs> I thought, are you up for it? Yeah. Okay, all right. That's better. Uh, if you have a Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 24. I'm going to read this whole thing straight through. If you don't, you can look up on the screen, uh, but follow along, and then we will dig into this together. Uh, as way of background, Jesus, um, uh, according to Matthew, a few days ago, rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. He'd been most of his ministry in the region of Galilee on the north end of Palestine, and now he's made his way down to Jerusalem, to the capital city. And ever since arriving in Jerusalem, he's been confronted over and over again by the religious leaders. They've tested him, they've pushed him, they've prodded him, they've tried to humiliate him publicly. And last week we saw Jesus in his authority as the Son of God silence them for the last time. So we see a transition in our passage this morning. Verse 1, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all of these things, he asked? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. and You will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Verse 15, so when you, are, when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel... Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive, but for the sake of Of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. 
For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you there he is out in the desert, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east, is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. From the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know on what day our Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. See, you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of of the servants in his household to uh, give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will be put in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour he is not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. Where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of God. It's another easy one, right? If you were here last week, we had another uh, tricky passage, I would say. Uh, my title this morning is God is Present. And I hope that throughout this sermon you will have a keen sense of the presence of God and that we will end our time together being reminded in very tangible, very specific ways that God is present with God's people. I'm not going to cover everything in this passage. That would take a a very, very, very long time. And I guess according to Romelia, I'm not supposed to do that. So we will keep it fairly succinct this morning. And then we're going to end in a a different sort of way where I will ask for your participation. Uh, But before we get to that, let's look at just the first three verses here. Because there's a transition we've been hearing from Jesus. Jesus has been interacting with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law. And we haven't heard from the disciples for a while. We assume they're there, they're listening in, they're following Jesus, they're learning, they're watching Jesus kind of go off on the religious leaders. But now, the disciples talk again for the first time in quite a while. They're at the temple where most of uh, 
Jesus' exchanges have been with the religious leaders. And as they're walking out, the disciples, they, they point out the, the beautiful temple to Jesus. Uh, it would sort of be like if we were, you, know, you were showing some friends around downtown Chicago who maybe were from Iowa or something. And you pointed up to the skyscrapers and look at that. Isn't that impressive? Isn't that amazing? This is what the disciples are doing. They're pointing to the most beautiful building they've ever seen in their lives. The biggest building they've ever seen in their lives. And they're saying, Jesus, it's pretty impressive, right? It's pretty spectacular. And Jesus doesn't seem very impressed, does he? He says, I tell you the truth, it's all going to come crumbling down. And so this is in the disciples' head, and we know from Matthew that at the end of each day while Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem, they leave the city, there's no place to stay because it's Passover time, and they go out to Bethany, a town kind of on the outskirts of Jerusalem, and they stay there. And halfway between Jerusalem and Bethany, there is a little hill, a little mountain called the Mount of Olives. And this is, uh, Tyler has a a photo of the Mount of Olives uh, today. There's some shrines and... um, a church is built on it today, but if you were at the top of the Mount of Olives, you'd have a perfect view of the entire city of Jerusalem. You still have that view today. The view's different today because the temple's not there anymore, but in Jesus' day, in the disciples' day, they were sitting on the Mount of Olives, looking out across the city of Jerusalem, back at the temple, where they had just been talking about the beauty of this building, the grandeur of it. And so they're out on the Mount of Olives, they've heard Jesus say these things, and, and now that it's just the 13 of them, they, they want some clarification. To so say, Jesus, when is this going to happen? This is what we see in verse 3 of our passage this morning. Jesus, when is all of this going to come to pass, this stuff about the temple coming down? When is this day going to happen? When are you going to come, they ask. Now let's put ourselves in the disciples' shoes, as we've done repeatedly throughout this series. It's been a little while. So they're sitting on this mountain. They're looking over the capital city, the most sacred city to the Jews. They're looking at the temple, the center of worship. And Jesus has just said, it's all going to come crashing down. So, so what's in their heads? What's in their, their, their imagination? What's in their memory at this point? I'd say one of the things that's on their mind is the the Jewish memory of hope and grief tied together. We looked at Isaiah chapter 5 a few uh, weeks ago, but let's just remind ourselves of of some of the really well-known Old Testament or Hebrew Scripture texts that would have been familiar to the disciples. Uh, Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one has a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. And we said a few weeks ago that this was language about the nation of Israel, that this is God calling out a people to himself, planting a vineyard, giving it everything it needed to grow and to produce fruit. And we said repeatedly that this was the vocation of the nation of Israel, the calling to be a nation that produced fruit. We see Jesus talk about this in different ways. We see the Bible talking about this in different ways, that the nation of Israel was to be a nation of, remember, priests. Uh, When God comes to Abraham, he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless your family so that you'll be this nation so that you can. Anybody? Anybody? 
bless the world, right? There's this calling of the nation to be a nation that, in the language of Isaiah, bears fruit, points the world to the glory of God. This is why they exist. And so this language in Isaiah would have been very familiar to those uh, Jewish, those 12 Jewish disciples. And and the passage goes on at the end of verse 2. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. And this is the memory of grief that many of the disciples would have carried with them. That over and over again, there is this calling by God to be a people who produces fruit. And over and over again, there's the prophetic word from God that it's not happening, that there is no fruit, the fruit has gone bad, that the people have become distracted from their calling, that they've worshipped false gods, that they've become too exclusive, holding the glory of God for themselves. There is no fruit being produced in the vineyard. Tyler, can we jump ahead to verses 5 and 6? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. So these Jewish disciples, as they're sitting on the mountain uh, overlooking the city, they have this memory of God's words of judgment, that you've missed it. You've been called to be this kind of a people to produce this kind of fruit, and yet you've missed it. But perhaps also in that moment, they, they, they come forward a little bit to the time of exile, when the, the nation had been taken into captivity and lived in Babylon as captive people. Maybe they remembered the words of the prophet Daniel who prophesied while the people were in exile about a time when a new enemy would arise and his armed forces, Daniel says, will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation, as Jesus refers to in our passage today. These 12 disciples, as they sit there, as they review their time with Jesus, they carry with them this memory of hope of what God has called us to do and yet despair maybe and memories of judgment, memories of exile, of being people kept in a foreign land, being told that it's going to get worse. That there will become, there will come one who will desecrate the very temple of God. And so maybe their, their minds pulled forward even a, a little bit more. Maybe they, they, they pulled pulled forward to the times of their great-great-grandparents when the Greeks, the new world power, attacked Jerusalem and captured Jerusalem and disrupted the sacrifices, just like Daniel had said. But even worse, they took the, 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 the altar of God where sacrifices were made on behalf of God's people and they turned it into a, a pagan altar, making sacrifices to pagan gods. And as the ultimate affront, sacrificed pigs on this altar, the altar of a people who wouldn't even eat a pig or touch a pig. This abomination that causes desolation is in their minds that maybe, maybe this is what God had in mind. We, we, we escaped exile. We came back to our land, but then once again we were taken captive and, and our temple was desecrated. They carry this memory with them as well as they sit on the Mount of Olives and they look at the temple. They remember this. And they remember three years later after this happened, 
that Judas Maccabeus, this strong Jewish warrior, his nickname was the Hammer, for real, seriously. He rises up, he rallies uh, some zealous Jews, and they confront the Greeks, they defeat them. They cleanse the temple, they restore worship in 164 B.C., and, and there was a sense that maybe now, maybe now, we're finally going to get it. Only to have a few years later, the new superpower. Who? Rome. Attack the city and once again desecrate the temple. Send exiles out into the world. So you see as these 12 disciples, these 12 young men, as they interact with Jesus, as they hear his words, as they hear Jesus say, every stone from this temple is going to come tumbling down. They carry with them all of this memory of what it means to be someone who follows God, who searches after God, to be a part of this this people. And then maybe they remembered the first time they met Jesus. The first time Jesus came to them, maybe Matthew sitting at his tax collecting booth, maybe the fishermen at their nets. And they remember being called and for some weird reason actually responding, leaving their nets, leaving the tax collecting. And, and, they, and they remembered maybe three years earlier when they started to think, well, maybe it wasn't Judas Maccabeus. He wasn't the Messiah. Maybe it's Jesus. Why? Well, because Jesus is healing the blind and the lame, and that's what the Messiah was supposed to do. And Jesus was saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near, and that's what the Messiah was supposed to do. And Jesus chose 12 disciples. That wasn't an accident, was it? symbolizing the 12 tribes of Israel. And so all these things seem to be coming together. Maybe this is the one who will finally liberate us. But there were problems with this, right? We've seen this throughout, that Jesus didn't stick to the script very well, did he? Jesus healed not just Jews, but Gentiles. Jesus didn't stay away from the unclean, from the leper. He touched coming defiled himself, taking the sickness on to himself so that they would be healed. Jesus pronounced judgment not on Rome, but on Israel and the Jewish cities. And so here these disciples, think about these poor guys. Think about what they've been through. Think of the memory that they carry with them. And now Jesus has just said, our most sacred space will be destroyed. How are they hearing this? How are they interpreting this? What are they experiencing in this moment? I have to wonder if in our passage this morning, as they sit up on the Mount of Olives, overlooking their city, if a light is slowly coming on. I wonder if some pieces are starting to come together for these 12 disciples. They've heard Jesus tell these parables that the kingdom of heaven is coming, but it's open to everybody. The kingdom of heaven is coming, but our religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're missing it. They're, They're keeping people out of what God is doing. They've heard Jesus give these strong, harsh warnings to the religious leaders, to the most respected people of their day. Now they've heard Jesus give this prophecy of a coming judgment on Jerusalem and on the temple. And I wonder if for the disciples in this point, all the puzzle pieces are starting to come together. 
Jesus has said, my, my end is coming. I will be arrested. I will be crucified. And I wonder if as they're sitting, as they're sitting on this mount overlooking the city and dusk is coming and the lamps are starting to be lit, I wonder if in this moment the lights are starting to come on and so they say to Jesus, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? When is all this going to be accomplished? And, and in this question that we see here in verse, uh, in verse 3, tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming of the end of the age? I think we actually see two questions. The first question is this. Jesus, when's it all going to fall apart? When's it all going to come crumbling down? When's it all going to come crashing to the ground? Jesus, when is it all going to fall apart? Because the way you've been talking lately is about to be a mess. So when's it going to happen, Jesus? When's the temple going to come crashing down? When is this judgment going to be enacted? Now let me, let me do a footnote real quick. Okay, Pretend you're reading and there's a footnote now. Okay, Yes? So now you're down at the bottom of the page. This is not like the main part of the sermon, okay? You just, yes? Footnote. This is a ridiculously hard passage to understand. Okay? Anybody agree with me? And uh, it's not just because I'm not real smart, which I'm not, but really smart people have a hard time understanding what's going on in this passage, okay? So let me just tell you a couple of things here. Some people think that the... We're still on the footnote. Still on the footnote. Bottom of the page, okay? Some people think that this entire passage is about the day that hasn't come yet when Jesus will return in all of his glory, okay? It's the day that we're waiting for, the, the day after Jesus ascends to heaven that we wait for when he comes back to restore all things to how they should be. So some people, some scholars believe that this entire passage is about that, stuff that hasn't happened yet, Okay? I'm going to tell you, that's not where I stand, but I want you to know, some people interpret that. Okay? Yes? Make sense? Okay. Some people think that half of the passage speaks to immediate events that were about to happen. Specific things that were going to happen in Jerusalem, in Israel. Now, this would, this would take us up to about verse 36. Okay? And then after verse 36, now we get into stuff that hasn't happened yet. Jesus looking ahead to the day that he will return and make all things right. Make sense? Okay. I'm still not quite there. I'm, I'm most comfortable with those scholars who say actually all of this passage has to do with events that are coming in the immediate future. That this whole section has to do with specific things that are going to happen in Jerusalem to the temple in Israel. Okay? You can disagree with me. I don't think there's a lot at stake here because there's plenty of other places in the Bible, including the epistles, where we see very clearly Jesus is coming back. We have a hope that Jesus will return. Okay? So we don't have to put all of our hope in just this one passage. You understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yes? Okay. So feel free to disagree with me. I don't think we lose a lot if we kind of lean in different directions in this. Okay? Yes? Okay, footnotes over. Back to the sermon. If I can remember where we are. Okay, the, 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 the disciples say, Jesus, when is this going to happen? And I'm saying, they're actually asking two questions here. The first question that they're asking is, when's it all going to come crashing down? 
When are these things that you've been saying, this judgment that you've been pronouncing, when's it actually going to happen? See, the thing is that most Jews in that day expected there to be judgment, but the judgment would be directed to who? To Rome, right? The foreign oppressors. They were the ones who needed to be judged, and yet Jesus has been saying, no, the judgment is closer at hand. The judgment is for those religious leaders, those who uh, 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 represented God and yet barred the way to God, barred the way to the kingdom of heaven. And so uh, Michelle preached on this a, a few weeks ago about the fig tree that Jesus goes to. There's no fruit on it. He curses the fig tree and the disciples are like, okay, that was interesting. But it's important because the, the fig tree is cursed. Why? Do you remember in the passage? Huh? No fruit. No fruit on the fig tree, right? So this is Jesus' language to the Pharisees, to the nation of Israel. There's no fruit. It's the language from Isaiah. I planted this vineyard. I gave it everything it needed. And yet, there was no fruit. This is judgment, not towards Rome, not towards the outsiders, but to us. When's this all going to happen, Jesus? When is this judgment coming? In, in verse 29 of our passage this morning, Jesus says, immediately after the distress of those days, and now he quotes, and he's pulling again from Isaiah, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. It's very poetic language. This was language that Isaiah used to prophesy judgment on Babylon. Babylon, the foreign occupiers who were taking over the nation of Israel. This was poetic, prophetic language directed to the outsiders, the foreigners. Jesus takes that language. He says, I'm going to use this not for Rome, but for us. There's judgment coming. Why? Because there's not been fruit. Because rather than showing the glory of God to the world, we've made it hard for people to encounter God. This passage says this judgment is coming, and and yes, disciples, you're right. It's actually going to happen. Jesus says the temple will be destroyed, and he's pretty specific about it. In verse 33, even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. It's one of the reasons I think Jesus is talking about, no, it's coming now, because this generation, who's that? You, disciples. You're not going to pass away. He's not being metaphorical. You're not going to die until all this happens. This judgment is coming now. It's all going to come, again, crashing down within your lifetime. So this is probably in the year 30, 33 A.D., About 30 years later, in 60, um, different Jewish factions began um, a revolt in Jerusalem. And they took over the temple. They tried to drive the Romans out. And the Romans began to siege the city, besiege the city. But a year or two later, they started, they got caught up in their own civil war, Roman civil war. So they got distracted about five or six years, Okay. And the Jews kind of regained some of their power, but in 69, the Roman emperor besieged the city, cut off all uh, food and water to the city. And by 70 AD, they were able to break through the walls, take over the city, pull down the temple. Every rock, every stone, every tower, completely down. 
So when Jesus says, this generation will not pass away until you've seen these things, these things happen. The disciples, they, 30 years later, were looking on and remembering Jesus' words that this judgment was coming, that this thing would happen. And Jesus says, you need to be ready. It's going to happen. Pay attention. Watch for this. It's coming. The first question is, Jesus, when is this all going to come crumbling down? But watch this. There's another question underneath here. And I would put it this way. Jesus, when will your reign begin? Tell us, they said, what, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? This word coming here is the Greek word uh, parousia. Say parousia. It's a really important word. I'm, I'm not a Greek scholar at all, but I'm, even I know this is a very important word. It's used, I think, four times in this passage. Anytime you see a word like that used regularly, you've got to pay attention to it. That The word carries this meaning of presence. Jesus, when are you coming? It has a being here, being present. It also has this royal imagery to it, that uh, somebody of royalty coming in, in all of their glory, in all of their presence. This is the disciples' question when they say, when are you coming? When is your glory going to be known? It's as if the disciples are saying, okay, look, we get it, we get it, we get it. You're not the king we thought you were going to be. You're not going to ride in on a stallion and defeat Rome and cleanse it. Okay. But you're still a king. And it seems like you're even more than a king. Using the Son of God language. So Jesus, when are you going to come in your glory? You see? So when Jesus is answering their question, he's answering two different questions. He's answering, this is when it's all going to come crumbling down. And this is when... The Son of Man will be lifted up, and his glory will be known. You with me? Yes? You don't have to believe me yet. I hope I'll get you there, but just so you're tracking with me. What will be the sign, they say, of your coming, of your presence? Now, let's look uh, real specifically here for a minute at chapter uh, uh, chapter 24, verse 27, and then verses 30 through 31. So this is Jesus speaking. He says, For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming... What's the word? What's the Greek word? Parousia, presence, royal coming of the Son of Man. Verse 30. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. One scholar says that this language here is enthronement language. Enthronement language, a king being placed on his throne for all to see and all to recognize that this is indeed a king, the king. I think the disciples, they're finally beginning to let go a little bit of who they expected Jesus to be, but also what they expected the Messiah to do. 
They're maybe taking this language of a plant that's supposed to bear fruit, that's supposed to be alive, and yet um, is not. And maybe they're finally beginning to, to, to hold that to themselves and say, this, this is us. And so their question about when is it all going to come crashing down is, 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 is a question of, Jesus, when is, when is it going to be uprooted? When is this thing going to be yanked up? I hope we have a vacuum cleaner. When will we know this emptiness? When is this all going to come crashing down? And yet they know Jesus enough to know that this will not be the end of the story. Amen. There's going to be something else happening at the same time. And this is the question. When will you, parousia, when will you come in your glory? The disciples are finally accepting that Jesus is not the king that they expected. Rome is still in power. The temple is still under the rule of corrupt leaders. The exiles have not come home yet. Jesus is not the Messiah that they expected But though he's not the king they expected, he's maybe the Lord that they need. He's not who they expected, but maybe they're coming to understand that he's actually the one that our world needs. Rome may be in power, but the world's true enemy will be confronted at the cross. The temple will be destroyed, as Jesus says, but Jesus himself will be resurrected to replace the temple giving access to all to the Father. The Jewish exiles haven't returned to Jerusalem, but at the resurrection, humanity's long exile from God will be over, and God's new people, Jews and Gentiles, will be scattered over the entire earth, proclaiming the glory of God. Jesus isn't who the disciples expected, but as they see this plant that's not bearing fruit, And all that it symbolizes being torn up, I think they realize that maybe he's the Lord that we need. Is that a word for us? Is that a word for some of us this morning? Have you and I accepted that Jesus may not be the king that you expected, but that he's actually the Lord that you need? Some of us expected that Jesus would would pay each one of our bills on time. But we're finding, we're finding that uh, instead he brings a deep contentment that transcends our circumstances. Yes? Some of us maybe expected that Jesus would adhere, would stick to our perfect plan, our perfect schedule of when we were supposed to be married. Instead, maybe we're finding that he, that Jesus is transforming the very roots of our desires, giving an identity to us that is whole right now. Amen? Some of us may be expected that Jesus would protect our children from sickness, from pain. Instead, we're finding that Christ is present with our children in the midst of their pain and their suffering. Yes? 
So the disciples, they say, um, Jesus, when's this all going to come crumbling down? But more than that, when, when will you be enthroned? And Jesus says, it's, it's, it's coming. Just as evidence of the destruction of the temple and of the city shows you that this judgment has come, so will this be a sign to you that I am enthroned, ruling and reigning in glory as the world's true king. And so there's some specific implications of this for the disciples. In verses 15 to 20, basically Jesus says, when this happens, when the enemies come, when Rome is destroying the city, flee! Leave! Now, if you're a good Jew, you would stick around, right? If you're a, a Jewish man, you know, you have like your idol Judas the Hammer Maccabeus, right? You're going to stick around, yes? Because this is your people, this is your city, this is your temple. And Jesus says, no, no, no. When this happens, you leave. Why? Why? Because you belong to a new people now. Because there's a new temple that's been resurrected now. So I'm going to scatter you. I'm going to scatter you. The evidence that God is ruling and reigning on the throne is that you do not have to stay here, that you have new battles to fight. Your future and your hope are no longer tied to this city and to this temple. In verses 31 through 32, we hear that the elect are going to be gathered from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Again, it's this poetic language where Jesus is saying, when I am enthroned, the world will be invited into my kingdom. It will not be located just here in Jerusalem, just here in this temple. The world from the four corners of heaven will be invited and will be welcomed to my kingdom. Now the world for the disciples was pretty small. It was the Mediterranean world. You and I know that the the world has in fact encountered the resurrected Jesus. Amen? There's nowhere you and I are going to go today where Christ hasn't already been proclaimed and demonstrated. You will know that I am enthroned when those who are gathered from the east and the west, from the four winds of heaven, come together. And then in verse 14, Jesus says, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. So so back in the disciples' shoes, looking over Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives, the the plant has been uprooted, the, the vineyard has been destroyed, this judgment has come. But even in this passage, there is what? There's hope. There's hope that the land will not lay desolate. There's hope that God will not walk away. There's hope that in Jesus, God is still doing what only God can do. There's hope that uh, a new plant is going to spring up. Tyler, do we have Isaiah chapter 11? Isaiah chapter 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Isaiah says the vineyard is going to be destroyed. This is what Jesus has said. The vineyard is going to be destroyed. The plant is going to be uprooted. But even when it appears desolate, even when the tree has been chopped down, there will be a what? 
A shoot. Do you know what a shoot is? Anybody know what a shoot is? It comes out from a plant. The plant can look like it's dead. It can look like it's chopped off. Isaiah says there's going to there's gonna come a shoot. There's going to be new life. There's going to be new growth. Represented by who? By the Messiah. Isaiah is talking about an individual here who's going to come. And Jesus talks about this as the gospel being proclaimed throughout the world, as the nations being gathered together into a new family, into a new kingdom. Um, so, so don't think this is too cheesy. I bought a plant. Anybody know what this plant is? What kind of plant this is? Have any plant experts in our church? What's a plant expert called? It's probably a name for that. I don't This is a... Um, I love this. This is called a dwarf rhododendron. I thought, what a perfect plant for our church. Because we're a little church. And we're a new church. And this is a dwarf. (laughs) This is a dwarf rhododendron. It's not going to get huge. What does Jesus say? Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like what? Like a mustard seed. It's tiny. It's like a mustard. It's tiny, but it, it grows into a shrub. Not a huge tree, but it's a shrub that Jesus says the birds can land in. Right? Jesus says the kingdom of heaven, it's like a, it's like a sower. It's like a farmer. I really hope we have a vacuum cleaner. It's like a, a, a farmer who is um, sowing his seeds. And some of it falls onto rocky ground, and some of it falls onto a path. Some of it's picked up by birds. It's a pretty depressing parable, really, isn't it? But what does Jesus say? How does the parable end? Some of the, some of the seed falls on what? On what? On good soil. And it grows up, and it... Uh, Does it look like I know what I'm doing? I don't. It grows up, and it it produces a a harvest. It's the word Jesus, a harvest. Tenfold, twentyfold, thirtyfold what was sown. The kingdom of heaven, it's not necessarily this spectacular. I was at Home Depot yesterday. I was like, what plant should I get? And they had these huge palms. I was like, oh, that'd be awesome. That'd be so dramatic. But, 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 but the kingdom of heaven, it's a mustard seed. It's seed that's sown and finds good soil. And I wonder if the disciples, as they're sitting on the, on the Mount of Olives that day, and they're hearing some hard stuff, would you agree? Jesus is saying all hell is about to break loose, literally. But my gospel will be proclaimed. I'm going to call people from the four corners of the world. And like a mustard seed, this thing is going to grow up. The kingdom will be proclaimed. The kingdom of heaven will spread. People's lives will be transformed. And you might miss it because it's really, it's small, right? Ramelia, it's small. It's tiny. It's kind of pathetic looking, actually, from back here. 
Kind of like church sometimes, right? Just being honest. But there's hope, would you agree? There's life, would you agree? There's presence of God, would you agree? That we're not left alone. That that though the old uh, vine is ripped out, that the fruitless plant is ripped out, the the ground is not left left desolate. Isaiah says a, a shoot comes out. It's the Son of God. The language of the Scriptures isn't just this seed being planted, something that you and I look at. It's, it's actually that this seed is planted in us. It's that you and I bear the fruit of the kingdom. Right? Because we are those who've been called from the four corners of heaven, Jesus says. And so we expect that our lives bear fruit. I don't think rhododendrons bear fruit. I'm pretty sure. But there's some flowers that are about to pop up on that thing. And that's us. We we expect God's presence in our lives. Would you agree? We expect as people who've been called by God, who've been redeemed by God, who've been forgiven by God, that there is fruit being born in our lives. The apostle John, he talks about it as those who, who remain in Jesus will bear fruit. Those who remained attached to the vine, maybe to the shoot, will bear fruit in their lives. The apostle Paul talks about those who've been filled with the Holy Spirit of God bearing the fruits of the Spirit. And so this is how we're going to end our time today. Zach, go ahead and come on up here. This is, this is what we're going to do. A little bit different. If you're visiting... A, I don't normally do that with a plant. That's not normal. But also, we, we don't normally do what we're going to do today, which is to, to open up the mic to us, to our church. Uh, as I was looking at this passage and thinking about this, um, and just thinking about our church and where we are as a church, um, I thought we, we, need to, we need to hear about the presence of God and not from me. Because I'm the preacher. I'm supposed to say these things, right? Um, but we need to hear about the presence of God from each other. We need to hear where fruit is being born, where, where fruit is present. We need to hear from each other what God is doing in our lives. Even if it's tiny. Amen? Maybe especially when it's tiny. Amen? So we're just going to open it up. And um, I just want to invite you to come up and keep it pretty simple. The question for us to share with each other this morning is, where's God present? And I've asked Zach just to kind of play behind this because what we're doing right now is worship. Amen? We can sing our worship, we can pray our worship, but part of worship is testifying to God's goodness in our lives. Yes? That there is good stuff happening in your life, in our church. And here's the thing, I need to hear it from you because I forget. I get really consumed in my own world. I turn inward on my, I'm no different than the nation of Israel. I'm no different. 
So I need to hear from you. I need to hear Marquita's stories and Kalia's stories and Andrew's stories. I need to be reminded that God is at work because what happens then is when I see God at work in your life, then I look at my life and I go, oh, there's something happening here too. I was having coffee with a guy in our church a couple weeks ago and, and he said, the last year has been hell. This is the words he used. He said, but I feel like I'm being vindicated. And he just went through a list of kind of how things were, what he had been through, the suffering that he had, the devastating suffering that he had been through. And then he started telling stories of God's presence in his life. I was like, we're having worship right now in this coffee shop. We're testifying to God's presence. Some of you know that um, my son got really sick this week. After the service on Sunday, my wife and I went to the hospital with him and they were, they were like, yeah, this is serious. They sent us to the ER. And um, we got to the ER, and Maggie was like, hey, tell people on Facebook that just to be praying for Elliot. And so I did, and, um, and all, all these people just started, like, leaving comments. said, I'm praying, praying, we're praying, praying. You know, that was it. And I had, a, I had two distinct moments in the ER. And um, if you've been in the ER, at least for me, it's not where I want to encounter God. God seems a long ways away, especially at hour number five, right? I had two distinct moments where I thought, oh, I'm not praying for my son. I need to be praying for my son. I'm I'm worried. I'm anxious. Uh, In in two distinct moments where I felt like the Holy Spirit said, it's okay. Your family's praying for you. Your family's praying for Elliot. And this for me, in that moment, not really spectacular, little little rhododendron bush. God's presence in my life saying, he's being lifted up. He's being covered. There are people rallying to pray for his health and for his life. Have you had that moment, anybody? Knowing the presence of God like that. So I'm not going to say anything else. I'll just sit up here. um, Come up. Come up one at a time. Come up in a line. Come up as a family, as a community group, whatever you want to do. I've got no real agenda. From here on out, I'm okay just sitting here in silence a little while, just so you know. I'm not afraid of that, okay? Let me just pray for you as you listen to the Holy Spirit now and as you consider how you might bless our church with your little mustard seed story of God's faithfulness in your life. God, help us to worship you in the next few minutes in this way. Help us to um, not be self-conscious. Help us to not think that our stories are not big enough or glamorous enough. Help us instead to be compelled to share with our family of what you're doing. Help us to believe that someone this morning needs to hear what you're doing in our life so that we can see what you're doing closer to home. So Lord, we tell you now this isn't about showing off. This isn't about the best stories. It's just about talking about what you're doing, telling each other what you're doing in our lives so that you would receive the glory so that more fruit would be born. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on up. Good morning. God is present in my life.
I want to thank everybody for coming out today. Today is uh, Brent's birthday. <clears throat> I'm also happy to see that Elliot is out of the hospital. I know that was a trying time for you when we have children. I know that that's how it is. And I want to tell you that I have two special friends that are here with me today. Lana, um, she just lost her mother uh, March 8th. Uh, when my dad and also Art who came out from the suburbs. Um, whether you know it or not, my father, I, I left my teaching job in 2005 because my father had an ischemic stroke and um, I was on a paid leave of absence. And after all that money left, uh, we went through a lot of money. I, I was able to uh, pay rent, tuition and everything. And, and um, he's just a wonderful wonderful son. He stood by my dad those five years and a half. We had, we had a, like, a little hospital situation, ER, back and forth. And um, Lana would come over and she was my, my lifeline and Brent. And you know, when you're around people, sometimes when sickness comes, you just don't know that God is in your favor. You think, you know, when they said he had six months to live, you know, like, you want to say, no, he doesn't. And so I had to make um, decisions and everything, but um, I'm just so thankful for you bringing Brent here and meeting all the, the wonderful people. And I mean, you all are so wonderful. You are the youth. You are the church. It may not seem like a church, but church is in you. Church is is all a part of, of uh, how you live, your character. And I know that you know you have so much love for Elliot, and we were rooting for you. I was on Facebook and. And um, <clears throat> on Facebook, you know, even though I left our school, after six months after I left, the school closed down. <laughs> Brent became, um, he was summa cum laude, only African-American in his school to uh, have the uh, GPA. He was on stage and everything. That morning, he hit his head before graduation. He hit his head on the file cabinet. <laughs> Those are the hard knocks, you know. <laughs> And uh, we've had 27 beautiful years. Um, you never know, like you said in the, on, you know, in your scripture, um, death comes in the night, you know. And then when my dad died last year, you know, because of Lana coming, I want to have her just, <laughs> let's give her a big hand because she's, she's been through a, a lot, you know. Uh, she's actually from Nova Scotia, Canada, and she's a teacher. She teaches ESL. And um, I'm so happy that she's here with us, you know. You know how it is when you're coming from a different country and a gift, just like in the Bible. And I was making this little, we were writing notes that says it's a shame they didn't have cell phones and technology that they do, you know. But with your plant, life is, even though you can't see it, it it's sprouting up. So I want to just say happy birthday to you, Brent. Thank you, Pastor Dave. Thank you, Maggie. Thank you, uh, new new community <laughs> in Bransville. I think I wish all of the the um, parents who have have had children. I wish you um, will be with your children, and you're bringing up up in the right place in church. You know, and um, a lot of times you don't know what tomorrow will bring, but. God, God brings that, that strength to you. 
He brings all, all of the things that you want. There were days that you think you won't eat or anything. Brent went to the store. He comes home. He works seven days a week. He's a, he became a, a graphic designer. He's a DJ on the side. He worked till 2 o'clock this morning, but he was so excited to come here and say, you know, I'm going to help with Pastor Dave. So I want to say thank you uh, to all my friends. You know who they are. <laughs> and I, I wish that... Um, tomorrow. I want to say happy birthday to Elliot. It's going to be two, and I hope when he gets to be Brent's age, you will. <laughs> I will still be a part of this church, and you'll have, have all your dreams come true. So thank you, Pastor Day. Now, this is what we're going to do. When we share these stories, this is that we're giving glory to God. Amen? So Ms. Doris has just shared her story, so what you do now is you clap for what God is doing. And yes. another round of applause to my beautiful mom again. That's my mom right there. That's, uh, this, this is a, my mom is a symbol of God's goodness. That is a true symbol of God's goodness. You guys know, I, I didn't grow up with a biological father, but I grew up with my mom, my grandfather, aunts, uncles, beautiful people, so, and, uh, I think I turned out okay. <laughs> so, but, um, just, mom, I love you. Thank you. Alana and Art, thank you for being here today and joining us. It means the world to me. And uh, it's my birthday today. And I'm tw- thank you. <laughs> thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, one year ago, I wasn't at Newcom. Newcom was still, or Newcom Bronzeville was still in the process of being here. Uh, one year ago, I was, I believe I was. I was, um, what was I doing on my birthday? I was actually at a hotel. I was actually taking a mini vacation, a staycation, if you will. And, um, you know, it was kind of by myself, trying to be with myself and had a little dinner afterwards. And, you know, it, would, it I thought, oh, this is cool. And as I reflect back, you know, not a lot of people came to my party. Not a lot of uh, things happened. It was kind of kind of lonely, it's kind of secluded, it's a different kind of thing, but jumping one year forward, uh, my church group, led by Romelia and so many awesome other people here, they threw me a party, a surprise party, which I was late for, unfortunately, because <laughs> I was running late for a meeting, um, but it, it was so beautiful, the room was, uh, this is Stephanie Changchun's house, and uh, we uh, decorated with balloons and streamers and Carla made a cake and we played scattergories. It was a blast. I'm telling you, you know, just just being with people is such a big deal. It's just just being with the, you know, just being with friends, people that really truly care about you. It's just a beautiful thing. I've never had a surprise party before. Never. Never had a surprise party before. So that means a lot to me right there. And um, I've just been noticing, we're talking about complete transformation sermon series currently uh, I think one of the things we've mentioned is you know letting it go letting things go and something I'm seeing a lot for myself I'm letting things go to God I'm giving him my job I'm giving him the business I'm giving him my life and things I'm just like really concerned about like future marriage and babies and things like that and, and traveling I'm like I give that all to him I give that all to him because I don't want to, 
I, I don't know where I'm going to go. I don't know where I'm going to be tomorrow. And, but God does. God does. And, um, and that's a beautiful thing. I, I truly believe. And I, I'm seeing more and more when you give things to God, he'll, um, he will make it a, so much better than you can ever imagine or you could ever think or you can ever blueprint. This is why this is the first birthday where I've never had plans and, and things are just coming more beautiful. I'm here today. Remember, last year wasn't thank you. Thank you. Last year, this wasn't the same. wasn't the same. This is a brand new year. And um, let me just leave with the... I want to bring some more people up. I want to leave with encouragement. I've received so much love today from all of you. Just, just, just passing by. To those who pass by and say, Hi, Brent. How's it going? Big hug. For those of you that just come by and just like look me in the eye and say good morning, that, that means the most to me. That is a daily gift. That is a daily gift. And on each of your birthdays and each of your just, just living daily, my encouragement to everybody is with the same love, do it every day. Do this every day, not just on someone's birthday. Don't just, don't just say I love you on Valentine's Day. Don't just give presents on Christmas. Make this a daily thing because that's God's love. God's love is a daily unconditional, never-failing, beautiful thing. And that's all I have to say. A small thing for people who don't have kids, but um, big for us is that every day we drop our kids off at daycare, two separate ones. And we know without a shadow of a doubt that those people love our kids. And um, some of them more than we do, which is really, really God's presence in our lives. So, um, you know, one of the things I think about almost on a weekly basis is how both daycares kind of just popped up. And um reminds me that God knows what our kids need and what we need um, more than we did. We didn't plan it, so. Good afternoon. I'll make it as quick as possible. In my 36 years of life, I've seen God's presence in so many ways, even before I got here. Um, I was born to two teenage parents who didn't want to take care of me. So I know that it was God's will for me to be in the earth. Um, just so many things have happened. Even as a little girl, um, I had a cousin who tried to molest me, but God wouldn't let that happen. So God was evident as a little girl. He gave me the, the gift of music as, at an early age, and that has carried me in a lot of situations and allowed me to avoid a lot of situations um, my mother's been a drug abuser as far as I can remember, but I thank God that I broke that curse. I didn't have to have a baby as a teenager. I did not have to get on drugs, and I'm thankful for God's presence, you know, allowed me to go to school, um, got a couple of degrees working on another, and that's just God's goodness. I didn't have to be a statistic. 
but I'm thankful for that. Even after years, you know, sometimes women, we do wonder, when are we going to get married? When are we going to get the kids? We turn 30. We think it's never going to happen. I was one of those women. But God had me really active in ministry, so I really didn't have time. And I had to learn that it was all a part of God's time. You know, and then a friend of mine who I've been friends with for many, many years turned out that that was going to be my mate. So, you know, when that came at that time, that was another evidence of God's presence. But then on the side of that, he's a very intelligent guy. He had a bright political career, but because of someone else's corruption, he got sent to federal prison. So I'm like, okay, God, what is this about? You know, but we saw in these last couple of years how God is using that experience to set us up for greatness. You know, he's making both of us better people. He's made me closer to him. Yes, I'll admit my faith wavered, but I never lost my faith. It's because of my faith that I can stand. And because of what we've gone through, he'll be home early this December. And I'm thankful to God for that. Then I can get on with the rest of that. But in that, I've learned that no matter what you go through, God has a reason for everything. Know that even as a teacher for 12 years, the school I worked for closed down. What am I going to do? God allowed me to go back to school and develop another career to work with youth in law and in the loss in the legal system that that I'm doing now so don't give up on your dreams there is a reason for everything and trust me if you trust God he has his hand on everything and being in ministry for so many years and growing up in church as a first family as they call it you know my great-grandfather was the pastor I experienced a lot of things in ministry a lot of hurt a lot of ups a lot of downs experienced a lot of good things but experienced a lot of bad things and you know and it kind of no, took me away from church for a while, but I'm thankful. The biggest testimony I can give today is new community. I've been here almost a year, and I love it. And, and God has healed a lot of wounds. I've met a lot of wonderful people, learned a lot of wonderful things. So I have, as I said, I felt God's presence 36-plus years ago, and I'm feeling it even more now. And learn that everything that I've gone through has made me to be the person that I am close to God today. So trust him. No matter what you go through, it's a part of your story. It's a part of life. It's a stepping stone to get you closer to God, okay? Don't let your faith waver. Trust me, I'm a witness. You can make it. Got plenty of time. I'm just fixing the mic. Um, Many of you heard my nine-month-old singing this morning. (laughs) Um, She is a delight. She is so much fun, especially here at church. She is everyone's, I mean, everyone loves little Adelaide. Um, But God called me to stay home with her. And uh, for those of you who have never done that or can't imagine it, it is no joke. It has been, it's been crazy to go from all my life of working, career-oriented, ministry-focused, to being home, watching her beat toys on the floor and chase my cat and I mean that's kind of what I do all day and it's been a real struggle and um, I am so thankful for our church community that's willing to be honest the moms that are momming with me and have mommed before me um, I am so thankful for you guys to just be honest to say oh yeah I have so been there I have been there worse it's not been that bad for me but I understand where you're at and that has been a huge blessing for a 
a trial that I didn't even think was going to be a trial. I mean, it wasn't going to be fun, but it's, it's really been tough, and I'm so thankful for this church and the honesty of the people that are here um, doing this with me. So thanks to each of you and an encouragement for each of us to be honest with where God has us or where God has taken us um, because you never know when you're going to really lift someone up um, and encourage them when they're not sure that they can keep on doing what God has called them to do. Um, so, for those of you who don't know, um, two years ago my mother was diagnosed with lymphoma. And uh, this is more uh, her testimony than mine. For those of you who know about cancer, going through chemo is like probably the worst thing. You know, women, we lose our hair and um, your confidence just goes down. It, there are points where you just feel like you're not going to make it. And I just thank God that my mother did not have to go through any of that. She went through chemo and she lost her hair, but she didn't have the sickness. She didn't have the weakness. She didn't have that that point where she just felt like, oh God, I'm going to die. And I just thank God that she didn't have to go through that because personally, I don't think I could have seen her go through that. My mother is a very, very strong, very headstrong woman and to see her even in the state that she was in, which was basically, I need to sit down. And that's all she would ever say is, I need to sit down. And it was mostly because she had just come from chemo and the medicine was making her feel weak, but she didn't get to the point where she just looked pale and she didn't get to the point where she was feeling or looking like she was going to be sick forever. And you know how chemo can be. And my mother never had to go through that. And thanks be to God, on Wednesday, she was, um, they removed the, uh, the port-a-cath where they give the medicine. And the doctor gave her a clean bill of health. And she's officially in remission. And thanks be to God. God is so good. And I see God's presence with my mother every single day. I see God's presence with my mother every day. She was always a working mom. And she's been off her job for, I don't know, two decades now. And she's the type of woman that can't sit down and be still and just do nothing. And God has really taken the time with her to slow her down and say, hey, listen to me. This is what God, this is what I'm saying. These are the words that I'm giving to you. And daily, 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 he wakes her up and she prays and I hear her praying. And that inspires me to get up and pray. And I thank God for that because through her, I am learning to be more in tune to God. And I am learning to be um, better connected with God. I'm going to try my hardest to be brief. Um, I'm abundantly blessed, and God is very evident in my life in a lot of ways. First and foremost is my wife. And um, she's one of the few people on the face of this earth who can help keep me grounded in reality and at the same time encourage me to pursue my dreams, which those of you who know me are at times grandiose, um, but nobody else in my life has been able to do that. Um, and God knew exactly the companion and life partner that I needed. Um, my son is just a bundle of joy and intrigue and keeps the world lighthearted when it can get heavy. Um, 
my church. I have some of the best friends here in this room, and I've only known most of them for two to three years, and yet are closer to me than almost everybody who should be or could be or might have been my best friends, um, partly because we share vision and we share goals and we share views on life. Um, and last but not least is the kids. We have 10 youth in that room right now answering questions, some of them who have never set foot in a church building before. This past week on Wednesday, we had 17 kids at midweek Bible study. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I have a student who initiated a student-led Bible study on our campus that I'm the advisor for because I can't have any formal role in it. And we had 17 kids show up on Wednesday in our public school. Um, God is moving in the hearts of our youth, and um, I feel very privileged to be a part of that. I want to give honor to God. Um, I spent the last three years living overseas and feeling like that's the only way that that I can serve. And God brought me back and and provided uh, a lot of things. He provided me with a wife and a home and a place to live when I I didn't have anything. Um, So God's really blessed me. And uh, I've really been struggling because it's, it's a lot different to be in the middle of a disaster zone and know that you're helping and then to be back here. And uh, this past week, God, uh, I was, I've been doing a lot of work with uh, traveling. And I've had two conversations about Christ in this last week that I, I've, I didn't initiate or anything. And so I just give thanks to God that um, he showed me that he, we can still work even though I, I, I don't know how to do it here and I don't know what it looks like here. So I just want to thank him for that. Are we worshiping? Are you worshiping? Yes. Okay, there's like there's a, there's some of you who you're like me, you're an introvert and you're like I'm not getting up there. I'm going to sit down for a few more minutes. Um, and you're and you're invited. So some if some of you have something, a testimony, a story to share, but don't feel like it's good enough or you just can't you don't like microphones bless us today with your story please okay just a couple more minutes I'm not an introvert but I came up anyway to help all the introverts, I guess. I don't know. Um, well, I think that I'm most thankful for this little guy right here. <laughs> Last year, I was pregnant and miserable. <laughs> but not because um, I didn't want to be pregnant, but because pregnancy is miserable for me. Um, and I had a friend last week tell me that Jude is... Um, representation of God's miracles and he really is Um, my husband works a ton because he's a medical resident right now and 
Like, it's been a little bit frustrating to see that God's miraculous sometimes. And uh, this morning was particularly frustrating. My supposedly sleep-trained little baby didn't want to sleep and uh, was screaming his little head off in his crib. And I don't know, for all you sleep trainers, um, it really is awful when they, they're crying in their bed and you're like, I got to let them cry so they learn how to not cry. Um, it's really awful. So he's crying and I finally went in there like after the time interval that we've set up in our heads that we won't go in there before that time period. And uh, I looked in his crib and there he was with like tear streaks down his face with a huge smile on his face. And I was just like, I can't even be frustrated anymore. And I was like, thank you, God, because I was really coming in here, like, ready to blow it. And then he just smiled at me, and that, that was, like, really God's presence for me this morning. So. David sit up a little bit, like acting like he was going to get up, so that here's my chance. Um, for those of you that don't know me, my name's Tyler, and uh, I guess the thing that I feel that I want to share this morning was kind of the journey God's had me on with work. Uh, I came back uh, here also overseas myself, came back a couple years ago, and knew I wanted to work with youth, but just didn't know what exactly that would be, and and you know, just with the job market, there wasn't, I, I applied, put my resume out, who knows how many different positions at schools to work in different types of support positions, tutors, things like that. And there was so many, there's been so many times where it seemed like the perfect job description was online. It's like, okay, this is from God. It has to be, this fits exactly what I'm looking for. And, and, uh, each time it just wasn't working out. And, and I was able to, I've, I've been working for the last over a year, year and a month or so, I guess, doing after-school work and just as part-time tutor. And, and even that, it's like, all right, God, it, it's part-time. But it, I've, I felt that God had me there for a reason. And, and it's, like I said, even, even in that, one of the schools that I was working part-time as a tutor, again, a position opened up exactly what I thought I was supposed to have. And it was in the school. And I thought, okay, this is from you again, God. And just this happened over and over. And, and uh, finally... This, I, like I said, it's happened over and over. And then just a, a few weeks ago, another school that I'm also working part-time. I, I'm working one part-time job, but it's tutoring at a different site. So, and uh, one of those schools, again, uh, they, one of the guys that works there, I'm primarily working with some of the youth that are at the most at risk of failing or, or not at risk of failing, but they are failing, but most at risk of not even finishing school. He... He approached me and, and asked if I'd be interested in, in filling in, working in a temporary position there full time through the end of the school year. And I said, "Sure, if it, it's full time, like I'm, I'm definitely up for it." And it wasn't really clear about what the position would be uh, as far as the exact responsibilities. And then uh, again, finally, he's well, he, they basically were creating the position with me in mind if I would if I would take it. 
Uh, and so I told him I was interested, and so then he had to go through the process of getting approved through CPS downtown, all that kind of stuff, and came back to me again a couple weeks ago and said, okay, it's been approved, we want to get you on board, and he brought me into the office to just look, talk through more of the details, and he handed me a job description of what he'd kind of borrowed from just another school that had a similar similar idea of the position he wanted and as I read through the job description it's like this is exactly what I would write if I had to write a job description for myself and here you know like God just put it right before me and it's like here you go this is the position and and again it's it's temporary through the end of the school year there's no guarantees that it's going to turn into a full-time position but uh, I'm just thankful for the way that God has uh, shown his faithfulness and helped me and the times of frustration when it like I said when it seems like the perfect door is opening up and it just there's no response or nothing happens from it so uh, again as so many people have encouraged encouraged us today I just encourage you as well that the perfect opportunity may seem like it's arising but even if that doesn't happen uh, I God's God can give us faith to continue to move forward in the position that we're in be faithful in that position and uh, in his time and his wisdom he'll he'll if it if it is his will he'll open another door for you uh, but he's faithful and i think i'm thankful for uh his grace and his uh patience with us um, to help us remain faithful Good morning. I'm Christine. Um, I just wanted to um, really affirm our church in um, the last year and a half that I've been with the church. Um, if you're looking for a group of people to walk out life together in your Christian faith, this is this is the right church. If you're looking for journey men and women to walk with you, this is the right church. Um, in the last two weeks, um, I had encountered. I think we all have stories about our families, but um, we could hope, we could wait, we can pray for, we can work through issues with our families and um, sometimes feel despair or hopeless or feel like it's never going to improve. And in the last two weeks, I had come to the end of my rope and really, really felt that, um, you know, my family's a waste of time. Why invest in them? been praying for them. I've been working through things, working on my own issues, praying that they would work through their own issues. And um, um, I had come to a point where um, my thought life was really not aligned with God. And I um, really needed family, the Christian family, to come alongside of me and really barricade me in, in many ways from, from my family and really speak truth into me. Um, and hope into me. Um, I think it had come to a point where um, I really just wanted um, not so good things for my family. And so um, what I want to just say is that the Lord provides through his body. And um, in order for us to care for one another, we need to be vulnerable and um, show when we're hurting, show when we're not strong because we cannot see the glory of God work and provide for us unless we're willing to do that. So I just want to just 
um, testify to the Lord's provision and the goodness and kindness that I have witnessed and experienced through the church. Thank you. Sorry for getting up here so late. That's a trend of mine. It takes me a long time to do what I'm supposed to do. Um, Seven months ago, I moved here from Washington, D.C., and um, I really felt like that plant um, because I was like, what am I doing? Um, Relationships is the most important thing to me. I'm super relational and an extrovert in many ways. Um, And so I was leaving every important relationship I knew um, besides my family because they're in California. Um, But I did it because I thought that you know, this is what God wants, but I felt like I was committing social suicide, and I felt so empty and, like, by myself only for the first two weeks of being here. Um, Then after joining this church, so many great things happened, um, and I can say I feel like I have been replanted, and I'm growing into um, what God has for me, so um, I just really see the presence of God in um, a lot of new relationships that are here in this church and um, even on my job and and, in the community I am in. So I praise God for that. So if you're in a community group, you're just going to keep this conversation going in your community group this week, in your small group Bible study. Um... Is this good news to anybody this morning? Is anybody encouraged a little bit? Uh, I, for those of you who shared, thank you. That's uh, just water to my soul. Um, and to those of you who have stories to tell and didn't tell them today, I hope there'll be opportunities for you to tell them. Maybe over lunch even today or in your small group later this week. Um, I think that you and I, uh, when, we, when we have confessed Christ, when we have submitted our lives to him and when we know that he has resurrected and is reigning in his glory, we can expect there to be evidence of that in our lives. Um, can I just encourage you this morning, if you're not seeing that evidence, I bet it's there. I bet it's there. It might be really hard to see right now. It might be a, a dwarf rhododendron. <laughs> the Holy Spirit of God is present in your life. You're attached to the resurrected Christ. It's so whether you see it or not in this moment. There is fruit in your life. There is the presence of God in your life. And maybe what you just need is somebody to point it out to you. Yes? That was a theme that I heard over the past few minutes is how important community is in our church. That we need each other to show us what God is doing in our lives. Yes? I desperately, desperately need that. The disciples, they're, they're overlooking the Mount of Olives and, and they, they hear Jesus saying, all hell is about to break loose. But there's going to be hope. There's going to be new life. It's going to be new growth. And maybe that's the word for us this morning. Whatever hell is breaking loose around us in your life, in your family, at work, in our city, there's new life. 
There's new life here in this little auditorium in Bronzeville. There's new life in your, in your life, in your family. Amen? Um, we're going to sing one last song. I think it's a really, really appropriate song, Kelly, today for us. Um, so I just want to invite you to respond to this song however you feel led to respond after our time together this morning. You can stay seated if you want to stay seated. You can come kneel at the cross if you want to come kneel at the cross as a sign of your devotion and your desperation for Christ. Stand, raise your hands, however you want to respond. Because I think this morning we encountered encountered the reality of God's presence in us. And that's a big deal. We're not playing at church. We're not pretending If we believe what we say, then this morning we were reminded that the presence of the living God dwells with us. So respond to that reality, even just right now. Respond to it all week, but respond to it even right now as we worship together in the way that you feel most led. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for new life. We thank you that when you, when you tear out the old dead growth, you replace it with something new and alive. We thank you that you, you seem so uninterested in the spectacular that you instead choose to plant mustard seeds and scatter seed, some that finds good soil. We thank you that there is new life in us, that there is new life in this church, that there is new life in this city. Thank you that you have not left yourself without witnesses who can point to your resurrection and say, I too was changed by Jesus. So encourage our hearts, Lord, that you are at work you are redeeming lives, that you are healing addictions, that you are bringing the lost, that you are restoring families, that you are bringing us into community, that you are at work because your presence is here with us. So we respond to this reality now, God, as we worship you. Receive our praise as a small, small, small sign of our gratitude towards you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Give myself away. Oh Lord, I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. I give myself, I give myself. myself away to you God I give myself away so you can use me I give myself away oh to you Lord I give myself away so you Stay in worship if you want. Um, Help us clean up if you want.
want to see you back here next week as we push forward towards Easter. Be encouraged, church, that the presence of Christ lives in you. There is no gift that you lack. The Holy Spirit of the living God has given you everything that you need for this life and for all of eternity. Amen. Go in peace. We'll see you this week and next Sunday.